We've got some great looking people in this church. Praise God. Hey, we're starting a new series. Um, it is the month of love. You may know this already, especially to the guys. Just want to remind you, Valentine's Day is coming up. Uh, but we thought we'd just switch gears a little bit and have a little bit of fun in this month that is traditionally celebrated as a month of love, Valentine's Day. If it were up to me, I would replace Valentine's Day with second Thanksgiving. Anybody on my team? Anybody? Yeah. Uh, but it is also a good opportunity to dress up nice and, and spend some time with somebody you love. The, the guy it was named after, though, who we call St. Valentine, I don't know if he'd really love the way we've developed, you know, this holiday, because he was martyred for his faith in 267 uh, for being a Christian, and you can actually go see his bones in a church in Rome right now. Like, maybe that'd be a nice Valentine's date. I don't know. Like, that seems kind of weird. But somehow we've come around to this idea of romantic love on Valentine's Day. But we thought we, wanted to, we would talk a little bit about the complexities of relationships, and particularly how relationships intersect with our faith. Because our faith in Jesus and our relationships are not two separate things. But our faith in Jesus should inform everything about how we do relationships as followers of Jesus. And so we want to talk about that. But we want to affirm something as we start. This is a very complex issue. And we have a very diverse family of faith in our building today. There are people here who are young and single and looking, young and single and not looking. There are people here who are happily married and people here who are unhappily married. There are people who are divorced and people who are widowed and widowers, and there's all sorts of situations in between. We want to recognize that diversity and the challenges we all face in our own relationship status, but also recognize how important it is that we figure out how our faith and our current relationship status mix, that we can serve God and honor Him no matter what status we have. And so today, we're actually talking about an issue that might only apply to a certain percentage of our congregation, but I think we want to all listen in closely because when we talk about a, a type of relationship or a relationship status that doesn't apply to us, we can actually uh, have the temptation to say, well, this doesn't apply, so I'm just going to take a nap today or I'm going to skip out today. But the reality is there's other people around you who you know and love who are in different situations. So when you can learn about and understand other people's situations, it's one way to love them. And so today's topic is actually singleness. We're talking about being single and being a follower of Jesus. So if you're not single, you might be like, oh, well, like, I don't plan on ever being single again, so I don't have to listen. But you know and love single people. And one of the best ways to love them is to understand their context and learn how to appreciate and bless them in the situation that they are in. So here's our topic today. The goodness of singleness. The goodness of singleness. I remember when I was a kid thinking that life would be so great when I got to be an adult. I remember thinking, man, being a kid is the worst. There's so many restrictions and so many rules and so many things I wish I could do. Once I'm an adult, everything will finally be awesome. Boy, was I naive. You know, you know what, being an adult has a lot of great 
privileges. There's a lot of freedoms and opportunities that I have as an adult, but I didn't realize how awesome being was a kid was being a kid was until I became an adult. Like being an adult is great, but it also comes with like bills, burdens, and a sore back. You know what I mean? And so in some, there's some days that I wish I could go back to being a kid, but, but growing up, we kind of have this attitude where we're always looking for the next phase of life. You become a teenager, and you just can't wait to get your driver's license. You get older, and you can't wait to graduate high school, and then you can't wait to move out, and then you can't wait to go to college, or finish college, or start your career, then you can't wait to get married, and then you can't wait to have kids, and then you can't wait till your kids move out, and then you can't wait to retire, and then you can't wait till you have grandkids, and then you can't wait till they finally come over and visit, and then, and then you die? Like, what's... We're just, we're just looking forward to things until they, and until they pass and then we die? Is that what life is about? Is there ever a season of life where we can just be content and find joy in the moment? Or do we always have to look forward to the next thing? Can we just enjoy the season we're in for the unique blessing it brings? And so when we get into a scripture passage in a moment on the topic of singleness, I think this is one of the points Paul is trying to make to us. The goal is not to always seek the next phase of life or seek a new type of relationship. The goal is to learn how to be content and find joy in the unique blessings and opportunities each stage of life brings. So we're going to read a big chunk of scripture from 1 Corinthians 7. You can open up your Bibles there or your devices. A couple of things to note here. One is that Paul is, is uh, talking to a church who had written a letter to him. And he's responding to that letter. So um, when Paul's writing to the Corinthian church, he had received a letter from them with questions. We don't have that letter but we have Paul's response. And so we don't know the exact questions they were asking, but we can kind of guess at those questions based on how Paul responds to them. But the second thing to note is that Paul is speaking into a very specific cultural context. He's speaking into a very specific time in history, into a specific location in history with its own traditions and its own understanding of how relationships work. And so that doesn't mean it doesn't apply to us, but we just need to do some work to figure out how it applies to our 21st century context. And so I wanna, what I want to encourage people to do, especially the singles in the room, is uh, take this passage home and read it and pray through it, talk to God about it, talk to others about it, and figure out how it applies to you right now with the help of the Holy Spirit and others who follow Jesus. But we're going to do our best to cover a big chunk of it today. So we're in 1 Corinthians 7, starting in verse 25. Paul writes, Now regarding your question about the young women who are not yet married. Paul's referring to a question that was asked about young women in the church who were unmarried. Your translation may, see, may say about virgins, uh, about young people, you know, referring to young people. And just so you know, Paul sees those two things as synonyms. Young women and virgins, same thing in Paul's mind. Believe it or not, that's what's supposed to be happening in, the young, in one young women's lives. Before they're married, they're supposed to remain celibate. And a comment like that can get me labeled as someone who's short-sighted or someone who's, uh, someone who's oppressive or old-fashioned. But the reality is, the world would be a much healthier place if young people practiced chastity before marriage. 
And the Bible is clear on that teaching. But let me just come at this. If you don't want to believe the Bible, just think about what, let's call it, the universe is telling us, okay? What would happen if young people practiced chastity before marriage? What would happen if young women and young men remained celibate until they got married? Well, think about the spread of sexually transmitted, transmitted diseases, eradicated. Unwanted pregnancies, gone. The, the abortion debate, silent. Kids growing up with a dad and all the social challenges that brings, minimal. So I don't care if you disagree with what the Bible says, think about the impact of the, the, the sexual culture we have and what it's doing to the unhealth of relationships and societies and the burden it's causing. It would be a lot better if we just followed the clear teachings of scriptures for you and for the world. So the question that is being asked of Paul is what about these young women in the church who are unmarried? What should we do about them? Because in that culture, it was actually, there was a lot of pressure to get married. And, and then especially if you were a widow, there was a lot of pressure to get remarried. In fact, you could be fined by Caesar Augustus if you waited too long to get married. You were seen as a burden to the state. So even young people who are unmarried are seen as a bit of a burden. They need, especially young women, they need to get married so someone can take care of them. And so the, so, so the people in the church are saying to Paul, should we like create some sort of like forced marriage here? Should we do some, some, some pairing up and just make them get married so they're no longer a burden? And this is Paul's response to them. Now, what's interesting is that in churches today, there are still more young unmarried women than there are young unmarried men. And that causes a big problem. Because there's incredible young godly women in our church. Like, incredible young godly women in our church. And there are incredible young godly men in our church. But there are more young godly women in our church than young godly men. And that's the same everywhere. And so if you do the math for those who want to get married, because most people want to and will eventually get married, if you do the math, there's not enough men to go around for the ladies. And what happens, and I've seen this in years of ministry, is eventually women will get frustrated and they'll start to lower their standards and start to date and marry men that don't know Jesus. And they'll say things like, well, he's open and he's okay with me being a Christian and he's willing to come to church and he says it's fine. He'll say anything because he's interested in you, right? And so what I'm saying is, church, this is a matter for prayer. That we need to pray for young godly men. We need to pray for men to grow up in the faith. And we need to be intentional about discipleship of the young boys in our church. There was a really cute one that in about 10 years is going to be a real eligible bachelor. You know, he was on that screen. We need to pray for these young guys. That they grow up in faith and they're ready for the responsibilities of life. But here's what Paul goes on to say. The solution for godly single women is not always a man. The solution for a single person is not necessarily marriage. Let's keep reading. Regarding your question about the young women who are not yet married, I do not have a command for the Lord for them, but the Lord in his mercy has given me wisdom that can be trusted, and I will share it with you. Because of the present crisis, I think it's best to remain as you are. If you have a wife, do not seek to end the marriage. If you do not have a wife, do not seek to get married. But if you do get married, it is not a sin. And if a young woman gets married, it is not a sin. However, those who get married at this time will have troubles. And I am trying to spare you of those problems. 
Now, Paul is re referencing a crisis that's happening, and he doesn't give details what that crisis is. It could be a famine. It could be just related to persecution. It could be related to the belief that Jesus was coming back any moment. We're not 100% sure. But the principle is that when you're considering a change in relationship status, if you're considering moving toward a season of marriage, you should consider your environment. You should consider your context. You should consider what's going on in the world. Is this a good time to make this change? Because Paul says there's certain times in history and certain environments where getting married is just going to add problems. That might be every environment. You know what I mean? Getting married adds problems. We think getting married solves all of our problems. It doesn't. It puts one sinner with another sinner, and then it combines all the sin into one home, right? And so Paul's saying, I'm trying to spare you of this because life is really hard right now. I don't want you to jump into something that's going to make it even harder. Let, let's continue because Paul's going to keep going on this, this idea. Verse 29 all the way to 40. But let me say this, dear brothers and sisters, the time that remains is very short. So from now on, those with wives should not focus only on their marriage. Those who weep or who rejoice or who buy things should not be absorbed by their weeping or their joy or their possessions. Those who use the things of this world should not become attached to them, for this world as we know it will soon pass away. I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and in spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. But if a man thinks he's treating his fiancée improperly and will, will inevitably give in to his passion, let him marry her as he wishes. It is not a sin. But if he has decided firmly not to marry and there is no urgency and he can control his passion, he does well not to marry. So the person who marries his fiancée does well and the person who doesn't marry does even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. If her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but only if he loves the Lord. But in my opinion, it would be better for her to stay single, and I think I am giving you counsel from God's Spirit when I say this. There's a lot going on here. A lot of interesting thoughts, a lot of stuff connected to some cultural things. But I want to give three ideas here that I think Paul is trying to get at that will be helpful for us in our context. Number one, I think Paul is saying that we often turn marriage into an idol. We often turn marriage into something we worship as an end goal that, that all of my purpose and all of my value is in my relationship status. I've been reading from the New Living Translation, and uh, if you read like the NIV or another translation, I found uh, the language a little bit confusing because it says things like, if you're happy, live like you're not. <laughs> if you're married, live like you're unmarried. And I think the New Living Translation smooths that out a little bit to try to get at what Paul's really trying to say. And he's saying that don't let your whole life and your whole purpose and your whole identity be wrapped up in your relationship status. Because it distracts us from the more, more important realities of the kingdom of God and our calling in this world. Sometimes we turn things like money and the accumulation of goods and having the right relationships and building a career and starting a family into the biggest goal of our entire life. 
But as a follower of Jesus, you've entered into a new reality. You've entered into the kingdom of God. And there are important things that transcend relationship status, career, and money making. Those things aren't bad. And sometimes God actually gives you a relationship for a very specific reason. Or it gives you the ability to make money for a very specific reason. But not as an end goal. Those things are so that you can serve God better. Now hear this. And I think... I think Paul's argument supports this. It's not that God doesn't care about your jobs. It's not that God doesn't care about your dreams to have a family. It's just that God uh, very intentionally has a calling for your life. And it may or may not be the same thing that you have, or the same dream that you have for your life. And you need to align your dreams with the dreams of God. And he will sometimes give a relationship to accomplish those dreams. He will give a career. He will give uh, resources. But those are things to serve him better. Next week when we talk about marriage and singles, again, I want you to be here for that. Even if you're someone who thinks, I don't, I'm not going to get married, I want you to understand what married people are dealing with. Because marriage is not an end goal. You know, Hollywood is going to say, as soon as you say, I love you, and you kiss them, and then it's happily ever after, then your purpose is complete. You've finally been fulfilled. You know the old line, you complete me. That's not it. Because when we turn marriage into the ultimate purpose, we turn it into an idol that we worship, and then we actually put so much pressure on that relationship that we can destroy each other. If I think that my wife is responsible for my happiness... I've turned her into an idol, and I'm going to crush her with expectations. But when God remains the center of all of my worship, and all of the pressure is on Him, then I have a liberty to love my wife and enjoy her. She can love me and enjoy me in all of our faults and flaws, because it's God who gives us strength and God who gives us ultimate purpose. The pressure comes off the relationship in order to fulfill my desires. So don't make marriage the ultimate goal. Your idol will let you down if it becomes an object of worship. Secondly, what Paul is saying here is that singleness is not a problem to be solved. Singleness is not a problem to be solved. Paul's speaking into an ancient context where marriage and family were everything. Like if you think it's an idol in the church, back then it was everything. And when you think even of a lot of the Old Testament Bible stories of women who struggled with infertility, and it was so devastating, see, the belief was if God enabled you to have children, that was a direct blessing. But if you were somehow unable to have children, it was because you were cursed by God and you had done something wrong. And then Paul shows up in this letter and he basically says, you don't need to have kids or have a family to have value and purpose and dignity in God's kingdom. See, family was, was plan A, and there was no plan B for your social welfare. Like, there was no Canadian pension plan, there was no RRSPs, there was no end-of-life care. That was your kids. Your kids was your pension plan. Your kids were your end-of-life care. And if you didn't have them, you were really messed up. And so there was so much pressure to make sure you had this social welfare system in place with a family. And other practical reasons, like my dad grew up with 11 siblings, a lot of kids. Grandma was pregnant for over nine years. But there was a really practical reason for that. They had a farm and needed cheap labor. So they had a bunch of kids, right? And so life has changed and the birth rate has gone way down. But, but Paul is saying, listen, 
In the kingdom of God, your purpose and your identity is not tied to your relationship status. So it's actually okay to make the decision not to have a family and not to get married. And that doesn't make you deficient. It doesn't make you a second-class citizen. Your singleness is not a problem to be solved with a spouse so that somehow you can finally be whole. You know, I remember uh, I had broken up with a girlfriend and I was talking to uh, a, a relative of mine and um, they had asked about the girl and I was like, oh, you know, I, I, we, we broke up. And their response was, well, what's wrong with you? I was like, well, nothing's wrong with me. We just probably just didn't work. But the, the whole idea of like, there must be something wrong with you if you can't find somebody. And by the way, I got back together with that girl. We broke up a couple more times. But now we've been married for almost 15 years. So it worked out. What's wrong with me? But it's hard to make the argument that there's something wrong with single people when Jesus lived his whole life on earth as a single person. And Paul, the greatest theologian and missionary of our movement, was single for his whole life. They had very full, very purposeful lives. And so Paul's affirming that this is actually a choice we can make. Your life isn't solved by a relationship. And there actually may be a context and a calling where you may actually be better off remaining in your current relationship status. You see, when you enter into a relationship with Jesus, you enter into the worldwide family of God, and built into that family are brothers and sisters and moms and dads and kids and cousins. We have a big family of God, so there's no pressure on the follower of Jesus to somehow be complete by having their own biological family. Number three. Paul says something that's probably the most controversial thing even today. He says, singleness is a gift. Singleness is a gift. If you go back up, we didn't read this verse earlier, but it's 1 Corinthians 7, 7. He says, I wish everyone were single, just as I am. Yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. So Paul's affirming that both singleness and marriage should be viewed as a gift from God. What's this gift of singleness? Sometimes we've, we've, we've described the gift of singleness as, you know, someone who just has no desire to get married and no sexual desires, and they're just happy to be single and celibate their whole life. That's not necessarily true. We don't have to impose that idea on people. But when you think about the way Paul talks about gifts in the body of Christ, he always talks about them in the context of how we can use our gifts to serve others. So the gift of singleness is not about you. The gift of marriage is not about you. But your relationship status in the kingdom of God is an opportunity to serve in a unique way. It's an opportunity to bless somebody else in a unique way. And singles in the church actually have amazing opportunities, unique, time-sensitive opportunities to serve the Lord in ways that are impossible once they're in marriage. Paul says in verse 34 to 30, or 32 to 34, an unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. Unmarried people have an opportunity to, listen, I don't have to worry about my spouse. I can go on a missions trip to Africa. I don't have to get permission or leave my wife behind with the three kids. That was really hard on Rebecca when I was gone for two and a half weeks. 
I was single, I wouldn't have had to think about that. You know, single people, they've got, the t they've got a little bit of free time and free space because they don't have the interests of their family to manage. Single people on the other end, maybe widowed or widower, or, or, or even the other gift of, you may be in a season of retirement. Guess what? That's a gift. Being married is a gift, but not just for you. We need to see our current status as an opportunity with unique freedoms and privileges that enable us not just to experience God's blessing, but to serve God's people. So don't try to change your situation simply because you feel like somehow you're incomplete and you're jealous of other people's gifts. But find a way to be content in your current season because that in itself is a gift from the Lord where you can lean into to be of service to somebody else. There's all kinds of situations where we need to see ourselves in a place where we have a gift and a unique opportunity. I don't know if you're aware of the name Francis Collins. He's a really uh, amazing scientist, leader of the Human Genome Project, and they interview him in the Alpha course in the first video. And he talks about his testimony where he was an atheist, medical doctor, and he was in a hospital room, and this woman at the end of her life, in an incredible amount of pain, challenged him and said, Doctor, what do you believe? What do you believe about God? What do you believe about the afterlife? And it led him on a journey where he actually became a follower of Jesus. And here's a woman in intense pain at the end of her life, recognizing that even though she would prefer a different gift in that moment, she leaned into the moment she had and used it for everything she could. Or if you look at biblical example of Paul and Silas experiencing persecution, they've been thrown in prison, they've been beaten and put in chains. In the middle of the night, they weren't moaning and complaining about their situation. They were worshiping and praising God. And it actually led them to an incredible opportunity to lead the jailer of that jail to faith and his whole family. They had a situation that may not have been ideal, may not have been what they had chosen, but they used it to serve and bless others. They saw it as an opportunity that was unique in that moment. What if they hadn't? Don't despise the situation you're in just because you prefer something else. Last couple thoughts, and the band can come back up. A couple of points of practical wisdom for singles in the church. You could be young and single. You could be at a later stage of life and single. Here's a couple thoughts of practical wisdom. Number one, ask God how your singleness can best be used to serve him. How in this season of life can you serve the Lord in a unique way what is your unique calling in these times, whether your singleness is temporary or permanent? How can you use it to serve the Lord? Number two, focus on your formation. Focus on growing in your own character. Focus on growth in the fruit of the Spirit during this time of singleness. A lot of single people, they have their list, right? Single people, you've got your list. This is my dream man right? He better have this, and he better have this, and he better have this, and he better look like this, and he better have six figures, and whatever it is, right? We have that list, and what we're doing is we're putting a ton of pressure on that person to fulfill our desires, and it's a self-centered approach to relationships. So instead of looking for Mr. Right or looking for Miss Right, focus on becoming Mr. Right, becoming Miss Right, the kind of person that someone else would be blessed by and to let God take care of the formation of that other person. You focus on your own 
formation into the character of Christ. And thirdly, focus on developing a deeply fulfilling relationship with Jesus. When you have a deeply fulfilling relationship in the one relationship that really matters, then it takes the pressure off the romantic relationship. So that your closeness with God is what gives you all the purpose and fulfillment you need. And the pressure's off so that when you find someone to spend your life with, you can enjoy that for what it is, the gift of God that is in your life. And lastly, for the married people in the room, here's the one piece of advice. Don't perceive singles as somehow deficient. Don't keep trying to solve their problem by introducing a potential suitor. Hey, maybe they've asked you to do that? Great. But don't just assume that their life would be better off if they just had somebody. But value them deeply for who they are and their season of life right now. Because they are a gift to you. They are a gift to the church. They are a gift to the world as God calls them in this season of life for a very unique and important purpose. We value every single person in our church in the season of life they are in right now. So here's how I want to finish. This is, this is more about practical Christian living, but I want to connect this to our prayerfulness series. Even as we closed last week, I challenge you to pray what I think is one of the most important prayers of our time. And the prayer is Isaiah's prayer where he said in the presence of the Lord, here I am. Right? Here I am. And like I said, sometimes whatever situation in life we're in, we feel like, oh, if I was in a different situation, it would be better. But you're in this situation right now and God has a purpose for you in this situation. And so my challenge for us today is to present ourselves to the Lord. God, I'm single. God, I'm married. God, I'm divorced. God, I'm widowed. Whatever situation you're in, can you present yourself to the Lord and just say, here I am. Here I am. Help me to see my current status as a gift. Help me to see my current status as an opportunity to serve you and bless your church. Help me, Lord God, to understand my calling in this season so I can step into it and find joy and contentment now, not just seeking for something else. Can you say that to the Lord? Here I am in whatever situation I'm in. Would you stand with me? I want to pray for you. Prayer team is going to come if you want to receive ministry as we close the band will sing but let's pray together join me presenting yourself to God here we are God here we are God we thank you we thank you for the many gifts you give the church we thank you for the many seasons of life Lord and there are so many complexities and so much diversity when it comes to relationships in our church Lord God and you see it all and you value each person and each relationship status. And God, we thank you for the gifts. We thank you for the gift the single people are to our church. We thank you for the gift the retirees are to our church. We thank you for the gift the married people are to our church. We thank you for the gift of experience those who've gone through pain are in our church, Lord God. We thank you that you are blessing us through all seasons of life. And we can have a church family that's been through it all and we can experience the wisdom of each season. Lord, this is such a gift. And Lord, we acknowledge the pain that some have gone through and how hard this can be to talk about. But God, we in faith want to present ourselves to you and just say, here I am. Here I am as I am. Here I am in this season. Lord, help me to be content where I am. Help me to see where I am as a gift. And help me to use that gift to be a blessing and a service to others. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Come for prayer worship together as we close.